Amen. You can have a seat. This morning we're concluding a five-week series turned eight weeks on the Apostles' Creed, and uh, I'm very excited about our topic this morning. And uh, you know, the, the Apostles' Creed is a great summary statement of the foundational truth of Christianity, of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a believer. And uh, maybe you grew up in a church where you repeated the Apostles' Creed every week, and 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 maybe over a period of time it it may have lost some of of its truth. It, it may have just become something that you did by rote and, and never really thought much about. And I hope that, that in the course of the last eight weeks that, that you have learned some new things, that you have gained some new insights into to what, the, uh, what they, they were meaning when they first penned the Apostles' Creed. Um, and, and again, it is a very, a very solid foundation. I think that if, if you had it committed to memory and you were thinking through a way to talk to someone about your Christian faith, um, a lot of the things found in the Apostles' Creed are, are important points and would be good things to, to cover in that, in that conversation. And then we're going to put it up on the screen and I just want to read through it. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the, ever, and the life everlasting. Amen. And there were a few um, things that, uh, that we looked at. If, if you're just here for the first day and uh, first message, and there are a couple, there were a couple troubled spots in there. Uh, he descended into hell. We talked about how our modern day understanding of the word hell um, it is not was not the original intent of the Apostles' Creed. How um, it was, he descended into Hades, which was not the final uh, place of judgment or punishment, but but another place. Uh, and the fact that uh, it, it was a statement uh, concerned with. Uh, explaining that Jesus was in fact dead, just as we experienced death, and uh, and then we also, you know, as you read through that, some of you may uh, have heard the Holy Catholic Church as opposed to the Holy Universal Church, and how the word Catholic is not um, as you know in our current culture is known with associated with the Catholic Church, and how the word Catholic here was uh, associated with the Universal Church, with with um, all Christians worldwide being a part of the body of Christ. And so just a couple of those things. If I'd encourage you maybe to go online and listen to past messages from the Apostles' Creed. Um, now, as, as we begin talking about the last two statements in the Apostles' Creed this morning, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, everlasting I wonder... Um, do you ever have you ever had a moment in time in your life where you were afraid of death, where where you would think about death and the end of your life, and and fear crept in? You were you were nervous or anxious about what that might look like, and uh, maybe you know people who who they might be obsessed with it, or they they might just be they just have lots of questions and anxiety and worry, and and they worry about the moment when they take their last breath, and they wonder what is. What is, in fact, beyond this life? And, and they, they don't know. Um, you know, I, I, when it comes to death, I kind of take the philosophy of Woody Allen. Woody Allen said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. You know, that's kind of, I'm not afraid to die. It's the, it's the process of death that I'm a little bit anxious about and nervous about because I know that it can be hard. Um, I've, I've walked that road with a lot of people. Um, you know, we did a service this week for Ashley Craig, the, the young lady that was shot and killed in South Torrington a couple weeks ago. And, 
and and I can't help but think there were people who were here. Um, I could see it on their face. You know, they she was she was so young. It presumably, had her whole life in front of her. And and oftentimes we live our lives that way, don't we? We live our life as if if we know that if we we live our lives as if we're going to live forever. Um, in fact, sometimes we we live our lives alongside of our parents and other people that are close to us as if we're going to live forever. And and we don't consider the fact that 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 maybe a word not spoken should be spoken because they might not be here tomorrow. We don't know when we're going to take our last breath. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. It could be tomorrow. And we don't know when our last breath is going to be taken. And that could be tomorrow as well. And, and what we're going to see today is that we don't have to be afraid of that. You know, when I put the title for the, for the sermon in the, the bulletin, Sarah said, Is this right? Do you have this right? Shouldn't this be the fear of death? And I'm like, no, no. We're not talking on Sunday morning about the fear of death. We're talking about the death of fear. We don't have to be afraid. Um, We don't have to fear, and we're going to see that today. You know, men throughout the centuries have wrestled with what it might be like in the end. Aristotle called death the thing he feared most because it appears to be the end of everything, he said. That was his his conclusion. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, an existentialist philosopher, said that death removes all meaning from life. Um, death removes all meaning from life. And it couldn't be further from the truth in, in actuality. Um, and for men like those guys, death was the end of everything. It was like walking into a dungeon and, and somebody throwing away the key and, and you would never get out. You were, you were just going to be stuck there, trapped in a room. Uh, when they entered the grave, they weren't ever going to get out of there. And there are many people in our world that that fear death that way. It's the fear of the unknown, I think. But what we're going to see today is that there is a certain amount of known that we can put our hope in, that we can look forward to. Um, The darkness that surrounds us in our world can also cause us to fear. You know, fear of the future, fear of tomorrow, fear of next week, fear of what so-and-so might say or what might happen. But we're going to see today, I think, that, that the Bible has a remedy for that. Again, um, the hymn that we just sang, I serve a risen Savior, He's in the world today. I know that... I, was anybody able to sing that without a smile coming on your face at all? I mean, seriously. I mean, I, as I think about the words and as I sing the words of, of that hymn, it just makes me smile because it, 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 it reminds me that there's nothing in this life that I can't face because I serve a risen Savior and He's with me today and He's always near. He said He would never leave me nor forsake me. He's always there, and there are certainly those times I'm not sure I really like this, this line, and just the time I need Him, He's always near. You know, sometimes it's, it's we just don't recognize that we need Him all the time, and there was just those certain times when we needed Him, and He's always been there, but He is. He's always there. He's always there. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King. The hope of all who seek Him, the help of all who find, none other is so loving, so good, and kind. You know, that hymn comes from the book of Job. Um, it comes from the book of Job, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. And, and you know Job was, was a, a man who lost everything. He, he lost all of his children. He lost all of his property. He lost his health. Um, if there was anybody that had case to fear or complain, it was Job. And this is what Job says in verses 25 and through 27. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh... I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. I mean, there is so much theology and truth wrapped up in that one statement that, that Job says right there. And, and of course, our Redeemer is Jesus, the Redeemer that Job knows. He may not know Him by name at that moment, but He knows that there is one who is coming and is going to be a Redeemer. And it was Jesus' death and resurrection that puts the death to fear. Um, he conquered sin and death, and he puts death, the fear of death, he puts to death fear. Wow. I'm, uh, look at Hosea chapter 13, verse 14 up here. God promised this to his people. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? God said, I will provide a payment. For sin, I will, I will uh, 
I will ransom them. I will pay this. I will redeem them from death. And then that, that line in Psalm 23 that says, Yea, though I rock through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will not be afraid. I will have no fear. I can do this. I can do this. Uh, even though I walk through that valley. Now, those verses that we just looked at, they're full of hope, aren't they? They're, they're full of hope for the present and they're full of hope for the future. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. See, we have hope. It doesn't matter what we're experiencing in life, we have hope. It doesn't matter how much sickness is in your body or anybody else's body around you, there is hope. You have hope. Now, we need to understand what the Bible talks about when it talks about hope. Because I think like some of those words in the Apostles' Creed, we've sort of forgotten what the original meaning of the word hope is. Did you know that on average, every word in the English language has three and a half 3.5 different definitions, 3.5 different descriptions. Um, And and so our English language can be confusing. Take the word love, for instance. Okay, I'm going to give you three statements. Okay, and and they're all very true. Uh, I love pizza. I could eat it for every meal every day. I really could. Um, I love pizza. Um, I, I love my dad. I love my dad very much. And, and the last statement is, I love my wife. I love my wife. Now, let's hope that the first description of love and the last description of love don't mean the same thing, right? I love my wife like I love pizza. Right? I mean, there are three different... And, and, and unless we know what... I'm talking about, and we sort of put that into context, right? And so what I want to do with the word hope this morning is put it into context with Scripture. Uh, Because uh, even the definition in the dictionary of hope, um, it, it, it just doesn't seem right. I mean, we say things like this, I hope it will rain. Um, But when we say that, we say, I hope it will rain, but in the back of our mind, we're fully expecting it not to. You know, it's like, gee, I, I hope there's a chance, right? I hope so-and-so is okay, or, or uh, I sure hope that raffle, that raffle ticket that I bought at that kid for the, for the kids whatever, I hope I win. I hope they pick my ticket. You know, hope, generally speaking, in our culture today means it's wishful thinking. And that's not the kind of hope that Peter is talking about in First Peter. It's not wishful thinking, okay? It's a more sure hope than that. Um, But even the dictionary, as I said, the first definition of hope in the dictionary says this. It's a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Okay, And then they give this example. He looked through her belongings in the hope of coming across some information. So it's like chance, right? Um, The way that, that hope is understood in our culture, it's by chance. And then, as I continued to read through the description, uh, the definition of hope, I came across another one, and in the next description, it listed it this way. Archaic. Okay? The old archaic understanding of hope, and following that word was the word trust. That's the word that we're talking, that's the hope that we're talking about this morning. It's trust. It's, it's, I can be completely sure. I can trust in this thing. I'm putting my hope in this. I'm putting my trust in this. Okay, every time we talk about hope, that's what I'm talking about this morning. That's what Peter's talking about when he talks about hope. And it's because of our hope or our trust in Jesus Christ that we can see the death of fear in our lives. It's because of our hope in the resurrection of our, own, of our own bodies that we can see the death of fear in our lives. It's because of our hope in eternity that we can see the death of fear in our lives. And these things are not just wishful thinking. They are a sure thing. It's something we can know and something that we can hold on to no matter what is going on in our life. So point number one in your notes this morning is resurrection is the reason for our hope. Resurrection is the reason for our hope, a hope that puts to death fear. Uh, 
Jesus' resurrection, first and foremost, is the resurrection, is the reason for our hope. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 2, please. Hebrews chapter 2. Um, I have so many verses for us this morning to look at that I didn't want to make the, the computer guy type them all in. So um, we're going to be, be looking at some off and on in our Bibles and up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You know, when we fear death, we are being held in slavery. And Jesus died. Jesus came and and became a man and paid the price for you and me to free us from that fear of death, to destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, to, to grab the keys from him and take them. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus himself came to make that atonement, to pay the ransom, to pay the debt, to pay the price. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, resurrection, something that's, that's been brought back to life, means to, it, it means it's to be raised from the dead. Now, resurrection is not something that you and I have the power to do. We can't raise ourselves. In fact, we can't raise other people as well. Uh, in fact, all of us will experience the need for resurrection and resurrection uh, ourselves. Now, the word resurrection or someone being raised from the dead is, in, is used in multiple contexts in the Bible. First of all, it used, was used in the raising of Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11, verses 43 and 44. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! Now, I, I want you to get the picture of this, right? Okay, let's think of the last funeral that you went to, Okay. Um, and and there was um, likely a coffin, maybe not, maybe they were cremated, but, but likely there was a coffin in the front of the church. And just imagine um, all of the people gathered there, um, you know, there's mourning and there's grief over the loss of this person. And a man walks in through the back door and he, he comes to the front and, and he opens the coffin and he yells in it and he says, come forth, so and so. And the person sits up, climbs out and and... And imagine that, okay? That's what happened when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He'd been dead for days. Okay, there there was no hope of him just being kind of dead or just partly dead. He was dead. And 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 Jesus calls him out from from the tomb. And 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 the people were absolutely amazed. I mean, if if that wouldn't if that wouldn't confirm in your heart and your mind that, that there was something amazing about this man right here, I mean, he raised him from the dead. An amazing miracle. It had never been seen before. So Jesus has the power to raise people. Jesus, um, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He resurrected him. It was an incredible miracle. But that's not the only time that resurrection will occur. In fact, Jesus raising from the dead isn't the only time that resurrection will occur either. There is the resurrection. There is something that is called the last day. When Jesus returns, the second coming of Christ, when Jesus comes back, that will be the the resurrection. That will be when we receive our new bodies. Because as Christ followers, as believers of those who have been made holy, we will receive new bodies. Uh, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, Look, He, Jesus, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him. Every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him. 
And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of Him. So shall it be. Amen. Everybody's going to see Jesus when He returns again. Everybody. It says, even those who pierced Him. So that is the dead and the alive. Everybody. Throughout all of history. And then Jesus describes it this way in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to judge because He is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves, when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. We are all, for all intents and purposes, eternal beings. We will all be resurrected. Jesus, it's very, it's very clear right there. All who are in their graves will hear and come out, and those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. So because of Jesus' resurrection, because of the work that He did, we will experience, there will be our resurrection. And there is hope in that. There is hope in our resurrection. Um, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him, those who have died in Christ. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Think about what that's going to be like. You ever been, you know, sitting in your yard, and all of a sudden you heard this really loud noise, and it just kind of, and it just, it made you nervous, or you wondered what it was? You know, our Wednesday night Bible study the last couple of weeks, we've just um, just kind of as an aside, I've been talking about what it would be like to hear the trumpet of the Lord and the fact that when the trumpet of the Lord sounds, everyone will hear it and everybody will, well, many will wonder what it is. And, and I've actually caught myself here the last, you know, couple weeks. Um, I was sitting in the yard yesterday and there was a train that came through and it was a kind of an unusual, loud, different horn. And... Uh, I thought, mm, trumpet of the Lord? Nah, nope, it wasn't. It was just a train. Um, but see, we can, live, we can live our life in the present in anticipation of the future. And I think that's a good thing. I really do. Uh, and it's, and, and it's going to be no mistake. Uh, the archangel... The, the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So all of those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ who are dead today, they will rise first. Okay? They will rise first and then following that, it says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Be encouraged by these words. That we will rise again. That we will be resurrected to life. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not a deep second coming theologian. I don't know a lot of detail and I haven't studied a lot of this. Um, some people say, well, if, if our... What happens then in the meantime between, you know, if like my grandmother, where is my grandmother right now? She died in 1993. You know, um, her body is still in the ground and at the second coming, her body will be raised. Where, where's grandma? Is she sort of like in a holding place? Is she, well, 
Uh, honestly, I, I, I don't know. Um, I do know that the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So my conclusion in, in, in those two situations is that, that in my grandmother's spirit, um, she is in the presence of the Lord right now. And, and that there will be a time at the second coming when her body will rise and will meet her spirit and, and she will be given this new body. It, it, it will be unbelievable. Now, I'm also thinking that probably in the meantime that, that it probably feels like a split second. You know, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. But, but I do know that, you know, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, okay? And I know that also that right here, what we're reading here today, that, uh, that our bodies will be raised and that we will be caught up together with, with Jesus Christ. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That's good news. That's great news. Um, and, and when it's time, that's what's going to happen. We don't know when that time is. It will happen on what the Bible calls the last day. Turn to the book of John, um, the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John chapter 6. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 40. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews begin to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? How can he? He's a man. How can he claim to be God? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. As Christ followers, we will be raised up on that last day. And it will be quite the experience. Flip a couple more chapters to 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 51. The first time I ever saw... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, was on a nursery door at a church. Actually, it was this church when the nursery was right up there where Ty's office is. This verse was on the door. And, and it left out the listen, I tell you a mystery. It said, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. <laughs> okay? I'm pretty sure that wasn't the right context. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? What an amazing thing we have to look forward to. The death of fear. The, honestly, I think the death of fear can happen in your life today. If you are a Christ follower, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, there's nothing that you need to fear. There's nothing we need to fear. Even death itself, as a Christ follower, is an upgrade. It is a, an amazing upgrade to what our life is here on the earth. I believe, I believe in the resurrection of the body. It's clearly described in Scripture. We will be raised. All of us. We will all live forever. Just not on this current earth. Just not on this current planet. Okay? Now, there are descriptions of heaven in the Bible, and, and we aren't given a lot of information about heaven and what that looks like. We're told that when we are resurrected, we will have new bodies, and that we will not be subject to death or sin anymore. So we're going to look at a few of those, of those passages. Um, point number two, I believe that eternity in heaven 
is the reason for hope. We can have hope in this life today. You can have hope at your job tomorrow because heaven is real and it's a real place. Have you ever, have you ever planned a, a vacation? Have you ever really saved up you know, for, for years and, and so you've had lots of thinking to do and, and, and maybe it's Disneyland, maybe it's a tropical beach somewhere in the middle of January and, and, and you've had to save for it and you've had to plan for it and you have this thing out there. You have this date. Okay, let's January 15th, 2016. Okay, it's this date that we're going to go on this vacation. And we're going to be on a beach, beaches that are like brown sugar. And the water's going to be clear and it's going to be warm. It's going to be amazing. Okay? And we've got all this planned and we're looking forward to that. But, but we're living in the present, right? We're living today and it, it, that's not for another, you know, almost a year. And, and, and life happens in between. And, and hard life happens and difficult things happen. But, but there are those moments when you're in the middle of that hard thing or, or you're in the middle of, of, say, a harsh couple weeks in November and the car won't start because it's so cold and, and, and the house is cold and you had to scoop snow for five days in a row. And, and, and what do you, but what do you remind yourself? You remind yourself that on January 15th, 2016, I'm going to be on a beach. Okay? And, and you have that thing to look forward to and you're able to have a more joyful spirit in the present because you know that there's going to be an amazing thing in the future. And I think heaven is that way too. There is this amazing thing that's going to happen in the future. What we're living now wasn't, wasn't the plan. There, sin has corrupted what we're living now. There's going to be perfection again. There's going to be paradise. You think, you think uh, brown sugar beaches is paradise? Uh-uh. Now, there is no... Um, you know, it, it gives me hope in life. It's, it's something that I can definitely look forward to face to face with my Savior. Nothing in between. Face to face with Him. Wow, that's going to be cool, isn't it? I mean, that should put a huge smile on your face. Face to face with your Savior. Now, there's no shortage of books written in the last few decades by people claiming to have been to heaven and, and come back, and, and they've written about it, and they've published a book. And it was interesting to me that the book, at, the book industry actually, um, those books that are written on heaven experiences are actually known as heaven tourism books. That's the category that, that they're in. And, and I've got to admit that, that myself personally, I'm pretty skeptical when it when it comes to those books and uh and some of that skepticism comes from a recent retraction of a book that that you may have read um i don't know when it was written it's no longer to be found on any publishers websites or or any book companies it was published by tyndale house and uh the name of the book was the boy who came back from heaven that's that's the name of the book the boy who came back from heaven and uh Tyndale House released a, a retraction of that book, which was a best-selling book, um, stating that it was saddened to hear that Alex, uh, the young man, uh, is now saying that he made up the story of dying and going to heaven. This was, the, and I'm quoting, this was the first time Tyndale had been told that Alex fabricated the story, said the publisher in a statement issued Wednesday afternoon. We were alerted to his public statement on January 14th, 2015, so just a few months ago, and have since confirmed Alex's retraction with his father, Kevin. They have removed all copies of that book. You know, ultimately, the truth of the matter is that we, we don't know a lot about heaven. And, and, and I think we're attracted to someone who, who, who seems to have some special knowledge. And, and I, I can't say whether, whether those are true or not. At least in the case of the boy who came back from heaven, um, he made up the story. And, uh, but what we do know of heaven and what we can hold on to and point to as unequivocal is what we have in our Bibles right before us. The, the truth that we find in here about heaven is what God wanted us to know 
Um, it, it's what we can have for life, and, and, and we can take that to the bank. No questions. No questions. And so we're going to go to a few of those places. Uh, uh, I once heard a theologian describe heaven as this. It's an unknown region with a well-known inhabitant. An unknown region with a well-known inhabitant. I like that. I like that. Uh, J.I. Packer said, To those who have learned to love and trust Jesus, the prospect of meeting Him face to face and being with Him forever is the hope that keeps us going no matter what life may throw at us. The Bible does tell us about heaven. And it's truth that we can count on. And it says that heaven is a real place. It is a real physical place. Um, In John's account... Uh, in Revelation, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, and we'll mostly remain in this chapter and, and the following one for the rest of the sermon. This is John's account when he was exiled on the island of, of Patmos. God gave him a sneak peek of heaven and eternity and what the last days were, were going to look like, and, and John recorded that. And it's information, as I said, that God felt like we needed. It was something that He wanted to reveal to us. So let's begin reading in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So we know a couple of facts about what the future uh, heaven is going to look like. It's going to be a new earth. The old one is going to be gone There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and I find it's an interesting point of fact that there's no longer going to be any sea on the new earth. That that God, in His new creation of the new earth, does away with the ocean. Maybe that's because all of those people wouldn't fit. I don't know. Uh, John says, verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. In the presence of our Creator. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So there, so heaven is going to be a real place and, and this place is going to have no sadness. This hope of heaven has no sadness. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. Think about that. I mean, we don't have to think very long in the past in our own lives before there's pain and death and hurt and tears. Maybe even today as you sit here, it's just right there. Imagine that completely. Imagine that not even entering your mind. It's just gone. It won't exist anymore. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. What an amazing place we have to look forward to. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is a real place. It has no sadness. He said to me, verse 6, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. All will be raised. All will be resurrected. Some to life. Some to the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. It is a real place. It has no sadness. And it is going to be beautiful. A little girl was taking an evening walk with her father and they were looking up at the amazing stars. And at least in her childlike mind she looked up at the stars and she explained oh daddy if the wrong side of heaven is so beautiful what must the right side look like 
Gospel, John gives us a little hint and a few clues about what the right side looks like. Starting in verse 10, it says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem. John is on the new earth and he is on a mountain high and he's looking across the land and he sees the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it was long. He measured its walls and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. I mean, can you even imagine how beautiful this looks? The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. When's the last time you thought about heaven? I mean, really thought about it. What it's going to be like and how beautiful it's going to be. And I mean, I, I, it, just, it just makes my mind go crazy when I think about what heaven's going to be like and, and, and I'm going to be in it with, with a new body, whatever that looks like. Hopefully I'll be better looking, but I don't know if that's going to be the case or not. I think, I, I don't know, I, I think it's just going to be this body and it's going to be as God intended it to be, not influenced by sin or death. Now, you know, you've all, I'm sure, heard the story about the very, very rich man who wanted to take some of his wealth with him to heaven and he had a conversation with St. Peter and, and you know, under St. Peter had a conversation with Jesus and he's like, okay, of course this is all made up. You know, he can bring one thing. So the guy packs a couple suitcases full and he comes to the front gate of heaven and he's standing there and St. Peter said, oh yeah, I remember you. You know, you're the one that we made the special exception for. And, and the guy brought the thing that he thought was worth the most and the most precious to him. He opens his suitcases and they're full of gold bars. And St. Peter was like, you brought pavement? You brought pavement to heaven? You see, what, what we hold is the highest, most valuable thing. It means nothing. It's, it's, it's what we will be walking on. <laughs> streets of gold now here's here's the best part of this and and it's uh you know heaven heaven is it's a real place there's no sadness it is beautiful and as christ followers it is our final destination it is our final destination turn to john chapter 14 keep your finger in revelation if you would turn to john chapter 14 Verses 1, 2, and 3. 
Now we have to remember all of this truth that we're looking at today, it, it's directly ap- applicable to the life and the reality uh, that we live every day. And, and this, is being, this was written in that reality and was distributed to people living in that reality. And when Jesus was, was uh, teaching His disciples and bringing them along, there was the reality of life. Sin, you know, bad decisions, disciples sticking their foot in their mouth, and, 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 and hard, pain, you know, death. Uh, and this is what Jesus says to the disciples in John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. And I think we could also put their trust, hope. Hope in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus is building you a place. I like to think of it as a house. Here he says it's a room in a house. Think of the ultimate man cave Jesus is making it for you. If you, if you could choose any contractor to build a, a room for you, to, to remodel a room for you in your home, wouldn't I think you would pick the guy that could bring dead things to life. I think when it came to making a place where he thinks I would enjoy he could pull that off. And that's exactly what Jesus says he's doing. I'm going to go there and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he has prepared a place for you. And he says that if I go and I prepare a place for you, then I'm going to come back. And there's two ways, as we've seen today, that that coming back looks like. It looks like you and me dead in a grave, him coming back and us being first and going to meet him in the air. Or it looks like us however that experience is going to be like, seeing, you know, all of the dead raised and then us following after that. That's the way it's going to look. And there is incredible hope and and joy as I think about that. If you find yourself in a place where you wonder if living your life for Jesus is worth it, maybe one of the places you need to go is here and you need to think about heaven, the place that He has made for you when you leave this earth. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this earth can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If I have some sort of desire which no experience in this world can explain or satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Turn back to Revelation chapter 21. I ask you to keep your finger into it and flip over to Revelation 22. Beginning in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Oh, I'm so glad there's bodies of water still on this new earth because where would we fish if there was no water? You know, he he took the sea away, but he gave us streams, okay? He showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Now, that is... I'm looking forward to that. Now, I want you to think back to the Garden of Eden, and I I want to close with this passage for a reason. Think back to the Garden of Eden, and when God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, He said they could eat from every tree but which tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? Now, they didn't listen, and they did. And then God says something interesting. He says, I need to... He took them out of the Garden of Eden, and He posted um, guards at 
the entrance of the Garden of Eden because God said that if God said, you know, now that they've eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I don't want them to live forever, so I don't want them to eat what? From the tree of life. So in the Garden of Eden, in the original creation, God has the tree of life. The tree of life was there. And in the end, as we look at Revelation chapter 22, the tree of life is there. And I would bet that we can eat as much as we want now from the tree of life. I just, I, when I think about the tree of life, I think about two bookends of the world. It was there at the beginning and it's there at the end. And in the end, it is going to be unbelievable, absolutely amazing. Face, we're going to see his face and we're going to reign forever and ever together. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Jesus is coming again. However, if we should go first, we don't need to fear death. We need to have hope because of the death of fear, because of his resurrection and the hope of ours. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this incredible look that you give us in Scripture. And Father, I pray that you would help us to... to to apply that into our everyday life, that, that we would not be so overcome and overwhelmed and discouraged with life in this world that we forget that, that, that you have a plan. And in that plan, in the end, is, is us being raised and living life with you forever. And Lord, I there are some in our culture who report maybe that heaven might be boring or that who wants to sing all day long for thousands of years but Lord whatever it is you created us you know us you it's going to be amazing I pray that you would help us not to be distracted by some of those other thoughts about what heaven is like but help us to focus Lord on your word and, and, and what we do know I pray each one in this room has put their hope and trust in you, Jesus, as their Savior. And that when you return, that on that day, when all will, we be, when all will be raised, that everyone in this room would be raised to life. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.